All right. Well, good morning and welcome to H2O. It's so great to have all of you with us here today. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't got an opportunity to meet you, we are really excited today because we're starting kind of this mini series, a three-week series that we're calling This Is Us. And we're, we're starting this series because this three-week period in our church's life every year is actually a really unique period, especially being in a college town with city schools starting back up. We will actually welcome hundreds of new people into H2O, especially on the campus side, but as well here over the next three weeks. It's crazy to think about that reality. And so what we've found to, to be best during that time is just to kind of share with people who are newer to H2O what we're all about. And it's also a great time for those of us who would say that H2O is our home church, maybe you've been involved here for a long time, to get re-envisioned for the heart of what we're all about. You know, it's, it's interesting as you're kind of stepping into something new, oftentimes even as, as a pastor, as a church, sometimes it's tempting to present a little bit better picture of yourself than you actually are. Sometimes it's almost like you're going on a first date, you know, and you want to make sure that your hair or lack of hair, you know, is, is, is slicked down just right, and you want to make sure that you say all the right things and smell the right way and all those different things. And, uh, and our heart over these next three weeks is just to be real. That's one of our core values is that we are authentic with who we truly are. And so this series, This Is Us, is meant to go through some of the core passages, some of the core beliefs about who we are that have informed our church over the life of our history and help you to get re-envisioned or understand what we believe God is calling us to be and what we believe God is calling us to do. So we are very excited about that. And today I want to talk about a passage that is pretty near and dear to our heart. But as we jump into the passage, I want to ask you this question to just think about here for a minute as we're getting started. I want you to think about this question. And the question is this, what makes you happy? Okay, think about that. What brings you joy? What makes you happy? Like if you could draw up your perfect moment or your perfect day, what makes you the most happy in this world, in this life? I know there's probably lots of different answers. There's, there's probably lots of things that, that bring us joy or make us happy. I know for many of us, family is something that there's one of the things that makes us most happy. I had one of the coolest experiences of my life this past week. Uh, I got the opportunity to take my son, Sam, who's going into fourth grade on a little trip. We have this tradition in our family. As you go into fourth grade, you, our daughter got away with my wife uh, as she was going into fourth grade and my son Sammy's gone into fourth grade so we got away and we had a little bit of man time for a couple days and we talked about things that only Sam and I know that we talked about you know we talked about things that were important as he's going into becoming a boy and so we also tie some fun things to that now when my wife took uh, my daughter to a trip they planned it all out it was this really well well planned thing they stayed in a really nice hotel well this was a man trip and so we didn't do exactly that but uh, I, I'm not a sentimental guy, but ever since I was in college, I thought, like, if God gives me a son, which I know there's no guarantee, but if God gives me a son, I would love to take him to the Little League World Series. Like, and that's just something that, that I've always wanted to do. And I wasn't sure if it was going to happen, but just a couple days ago, I jumped online, and I'm like, the Little League World Series starts this Thursday. Sam, let's go. And he's like, okay, you know, sure. And so we, we had our city group Wednesday night, and we jumped in the car at like 9 o'clock after our city group, and we drove halfway to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. It's about a six-hour drive. We stayed in a really junky hotel that I got on Hotwire at 10 p.m. that night. 
And we woke up the next morning, we went to a gas station and we ate breakfast, okay? And, and so we, we called Sarah on the drive there and I'm like, please don't ask him what he had for breakfast. Please don't ask him what he had for breakfast. She goes, hey buddy, what'd you have for breakfast? And uh, he's like, beef jerky, a slushy, some Cheetos, and uh, uh, some Skittles. And, uh, oh no, a donut, that's what it was, yeah. And so I'm like, oh shoot, don't tell on me, you know? So we ate bad food, we slept terrible hours in, in junky hotels, but, but here's the really cool thing, all right? We get to, to Williamsport about 12 o'clock, the game starts at one, and again, like, I'm not that nostalgic, I'm, not, I'm somebody who just often is thinking of the next thing, but we just walked into this place, and it was just so beautiful. And we got to, to have out and see all this awesome baseball and there's just something like pure about little league baseball isn't there you know even if you're not even into that there's something pure about just kids playing baseball and as we were walking around the park it was this awesome day we were having these fun talks we were getting to spend time with one another and it was like the end of the day and if you know anything if you watch ESPN it'll be on this afternoon the little league world series there's this hill at the top of the fields that overlooks the field and you can show the picture and it was the dawn was kind of breaking, the, the sun was, was kind of setting, and there's my, my buddy Sam, and we're just sitting at the top of the hill, looking out over at these fields, and I'd like have this God moment, like, man, Lord, I can't believe that you bless me so much. Like, what an amazing, and I had this just moment of like pure joy in my life, and as I was having that God moment, I was just thinking, God, this is what you want with each and every one of us, isn't it? I'm not a perfect father at all. I'm a very imperfect father. You can ask any one of my kids. But to have that moment with him where I just got to sit there and be with him, it wasn't about the baseball. It wasn't about the, the junk food. There is about our relationship and just connecting and being together. It was so awesome and so joyful. And, and I felt like God was just giving me this picture of that's the type of relationship I want with you. That's the type of relationship I want with every single person that I have created. And in that moment of joy, I felt like God was saying, yes, this is what I want. And that joy comes from having a relationship with me. And so today, the passage that we're going to look at echoes that sentiment where Jesus is with his disciples, the people that he created, the people that he loves, and he gives them this mission to go on, this journey to go on, and we're going to see how at the end of their journey, Jesus brings it full circle and talks about how he loves them and their relationship with them. So here's the big idea today that I want to talk about together. The big idea is this, following Jesus brings ultimate fulfillment and joy and life. We believe that to the core of who we are here at H2O. There's lots of things that you can chase after in this world, and lots of good things that you can chase after in this world. Family, relationships, jobs, all those things are good, and they can bring some temporary moments of happiness and joy, but the ultimate source of joy, the ultimate source of happiness, the ultimate source of fulfillment comes from one place, and that is walking with and being in a relationship with the God of the universe. So let's open up to Luke chapter 10 together today. Let's look at this story where Jesus is connecting with his disciples. And let's see what Jesus has to say to them. Luke chapter 10. We're going to just do verses 1 through 4 here to start off. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others 
We oftentimes think of the 12 disciples, and there were 12 disciples, but there were also many other people that were following Jesus in different various forms. And so here we see that there was at least 72 other people that were connected enough with Jesus for him to say, I'm going to send you out. I want you to be a messenger for me. So it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take any purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And so the, the first point that I, I want to just stop and recognize from this passage is this, that Jesus desires to use us. Jesus desires to use us. That's a core belief that we have here at H2O. You know, it's interesting because Jesus says these words that are pretty direct, these words that, that we oftentimes champion even to this day. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm doing the work out there behind the scenes. I'm drawing people close to me. I'm showing people who I am and loving them and that I created them. So the harvest is already there. The hard work of all the things that go on in ministry has already been done by the God of the universe. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the people who are willing to invest in what I've already done, they're actually pretty few. And as we think about that, we want to use that as motivation, not as guilt, but as motivation for every single one of us to ask the question, am I one of those workers that Jesus has actually called out? Am I one of the few that, that Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but will you be somebody who joins me on mission? And we talk about this a lot around here at H2O, but it's interesting because for many of us, there are things that keep us from being one of those few workers, aren't there? There's, there's things that hold us back. There's things that prevent us from doing it. For some of us, it's fear that stops us from, from, from actually stepping out and sharing about the love of Christ. For, for others of us, maybe it's pride. You say, I, I could never actually talk to somebody because I might have to admit that I'm weak in order to, to talk to, to somebody about Jesus. Or maybe for a lot of us, and, and I wonder if this might resonate with even more of us than anything else, maybe a lot of us, it's just apathy. And I just can't get myself to really care enough if I'm deep down honest in my heart to step out in faith and to be one of those few workers that Jesus talks about. But you know what? Jesus says, I want to use you. And, and the awesome thing is we don't have to try to be somebody that we're not. We don't have to, to try to pretend to be somebody. Jesus wants to use us right where we are in the giftings and the positions that, that, we've, that we have to influence people for him. Isn't that an amazing thought as we think about that reality, that, that God wants to use us? You know, I shared this story at uh, our Blitz uh, conference last weekend with a lot of our leaders, but it's a story that I think is just so powerful. It's a story about this young pastor by the name of William Carey. And in the, the 1700s, if you know some about the history of our nation, in the, the early 1700s, there was this thing called the Great Awakening. You've probably at least heard that phrase before. And that's when a lot of people ended up accepting Christ. And, and our nation, the face of it, started to change because people were seeking God. Well, by the late 1700s, a lot of that had worn off. 
And so there was a need for another great awakening. And in the late 1700s, this second great awakening had started to happen and had started to take root. Well, there was this young preacher by the name of William Carey. And William Carey, as he was reading his Bible and he was reading passages like this where Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And he was reading this, this passage in the Great Commission that says, go and make disciples of all the nations. William Carey started to think, maybe Jesus is actually talking to, to me. Maybe Jesus actually wants to use us. But the really interesting thing, and this is hard to believe, but the predominant belief among pastors and religious leaders during that time was that God wasn't actually going to use his people. That those passages actually didn't apply to individuals. That God was just going to do his work and somehow people would just kind of magically get drawn to him. But it wasn't about us partnering with God. That we simply shouldn't do anything. It wouldn't be a true ministry if we actually did anything to bring people to Christ. That's what people believed during that time. So William Carey was sitting in this meeting in the late 1700s with a bunch of pastors. And God was stirring in his heart. Maybe the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few and God wants to use us. Maybe God wants us to go, not just here in the United States, but go to the nations to share the gospel with other people. And as they were sitting around in this really important meeting in New England, uh, some of the, the older pastors and preachers during this time they said, that young Carey guy, William Carey, he, he's, he's got some fire in him. Let's have him get up and, and start a, a conversation with us. And so they say, we want you to talk. Well, it was very structural, very organized, and, and they were expecting him to say what they wanted him to say. But William Carey had this urge in his heart, no, I need to call people out to actually fulfill the Great Commission, to be one of the workers. And so he knew at great cost to, to his reputation, and him being at these types of meetings would come to actually speak. But he stands up, and he asks this question. doesn't seem that provocative to us, but it was very provocative at the time. He says, I want you to think about this question. Does the Great Commission, the command to go, the command to be a worker, does the Great Commission apply to us or only to the original apostles? And all of a sudden, again, doesn't seem like that provocative of a question to us, but this, this debate broke out, and these, these older pastors got extremely angry. How dare you, you young punk kid, think that you can ask a question like that of us? We have it all figured out. We're not supposed to do anything. We're supposed to sit here and let God do all the work, and we should never leave our place. We should never go. That's not for us. That was only for the original apostles. And so this debate and this anger breaks out, and it says as the, the conversation started getting more and more heated, the, the guy who was presiding over the, the meeting, Dr. Ryland, stood up. He was so mad he could barely compose himself. Young man, he said, sit down. Be quiet. When God is pleased to convert the heathen world, he will do it without your help or mine. That was his response to this young kid wanting to go out and tell people about Jesus. But guess what? William Carey didn't sit down, and he didn't shut up, and he kept continually telling people, we have a responsibility to partner with God in the work that he's doing. And as a result of his commitment to that, he started sharing it with more and more people. And as he did, the second great awakening started to occur. And the missions movement that would send out missionaries all over the world, up to that point, the U.S. had never sent out a mission would take place from this one man's boldness. Can you imagine if he would have just listened? 
to the guy who told him to sit down and shut up and be quiet, how different our world might have been. And here at H2O, we are all about trying to empower people to do the exact opposite of what Dr. Ryland said. We don't want you to sit down and shut up and be quiet. We want you to stand up and speak. We want you to use the the opportunities and the places that God has put you to share the love of Christ with other people because it is the most beautiful message in all of the world. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers they are really few. Jesus says, listen, you get to go out two by two. You get to do this in community. I want you to know that it's going to be tough. You know, harvesting can be hard work sometimes. But at the same time, I want you to know that I will be with you. So that's the first thing. Jesus desires to use us. Let's jump back in. Luke 10, verses 5 through 16. It says this. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. And if someone promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wage. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you are not welcome there, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town, we wipe on our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Crazon. Woe to you, Basidia. For, it is the mir- for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than you. And you, Capernaum, you will be lifted to the heavens. No, you will go down to Hades. Then verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. See, the second thing is this. There was a lot in that passage, but it boils down to this. It's about Jesus, not us. It's about Jesus, not us. Did you catch how Jesus said, if somebody rejects you, they're not really rejecting just you. They're rejecting me as well. And so the message that we share here at H2O isn't our message. It's the message of the gospel that's been entrusted to us and every other believing person in this world and given to us as a privilege to share. And so it's not about us, but it's about Jesus. And we live in this world that is pretty me-centered, don't we? Oftentimes we're told, no, it is about you. You know, if you want to live your best life now, then you need to make sure that you do what you want to do. It is all about you. And this is something that we're constantly having to combat, even in the church, because that type of mentality can seep in. But Jesus says, it's not all about you. It's about me and my kingdom and my glory. And when you understand that, then you get to live the abundant life that comes from following and walking in the truth. You know, Jesus knew that there would be some rejection that would happen as these 70 people went out to share about him. And I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that most of us don't like rejection. 
You know, uh, can you think back to like the first time you experienced rejection in your life or maybe the most recent time? It's usually not a fun feeling. I remember for myself, I was in fourth grade and uh, I started dating this girl, Megan. Megan, everybody knew for sure she was the prettiest girl in fourth grade and somehow I landed her, you know. I don't know how it worked out, but I did. And so we started dating, which by the way, if you're in fourth grade, I don't think you should be dating, but that's just my opinion. I'll let you decide that with your parents. But I started dating Megan. Well, what that really consisted of is we would awkwardly see each other and turn the other way, and then we would write each other notes, you know? That's what our version of dating was. But as we dated for a couple weeks, it was, you know, getting pretty serious in fourth grade. We made it past week two, which is a big deal. So uh, about halfway through week two, I don't get a note from Megan. And I'm like, oh, no. What's going on? So I send her a note, and I'm like, hey, is everything still okay? I still like you. Do you like me? And Megan just sent me this note back. She said, I want to break up. I was crushed, right? You know, that, that feeling of rejection is something that so many of us take pretty personal, right? It goes right to the heart and the core of our, and a lot of us sometimes, again, we're, we, we stop ourselves from actually talking to people about Jesus because we think, I don't want to have that same experience, that same feeling that I felt in fourth grade when I got dumped. If I try to tell somebody about Christ, Jesus says, listen, the pressure is off of you because it's not about you. It's about me. And my kingdom. So again, don't be somebody that, that you're not. Don't force a message down somebody's throat. That's not what God asks us to do. Isn't that freeing to know that we don't have to debate people, we don't have to argue with people, we don't have to slam our Bibles over people's head. All we simply have to do is partner with God in what he's already doing. The harvest is plentiful. And Jesus says if somebody's not willing to receive that message, that's okay. It's not on you to change their mind. It's about me. And so if they reject it, you don't have to feel rejected. They didn't reject you, they rejected me. And if they accept it as well, it's not about you either. It's about me and what I was already doing in their lives. I want to look at this last section because this is the heart of the passage that I want to talk about. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Jesus says this, okay, he'd sent out his 72 disciples, and as they went out, some really cool, amazing things were happening. Some people were rejecting them, but they were healing people. Picture that with me for a minute. They, they were, there was people that were like possessed by demons, and they were calling out the demons, and the demons left those people. There were some miraculous things that these 72 disciples were able to do by the power of God. Check this last part out. Verse 17, it says this. And the 72 returned with joy. We talked about joy. What brings you joy? That would be a pretty joyful moment. Maybe you've been on a mission trip before and something cool and powerful has happened and you come back and you are excited. You're happy. It says the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submitted to us in your name. They were on top of the world. They were so excited for all that God had done in them. And he says, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Verse 20, the key point in this whole verse, this whole section. However, do not rejoice that the Spirit submitted to you, but rejoice 
that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice in all the the ministry that you've done, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, third and finally, we want you to know this. Joy comes not only from serving God, but joy comes, more importantly, from knowing God. True joy, true peace comes not from the results of our efforts, although our efforts God is pleased by, but true joy and true peace comes from knowing and walking with God. See, Jesus is telling these disciples, don't let the service that you just performed, don't let the the deeds that you just partaked in, which were awesome, don't let them overshadow the ultimate joy, the ultimate moment of glory, and that is when you received your salvation from me. As you think about this reality, there are two different opportunities for us to have joy. First is for us to serve God, but more importantly, it's the salvation that we've received from God. Serving God is great, and it's wonderful, and we do so many things around here as a church to try to love people and show them how great Jesus is, but we must never, ever put those things that we do over top of walking with God. The ministry that we do, the things that we do, they have to come out of an overflow of appreciation and joy and thankfulness for what God's done in us. Because if they don't, then everything that we do is in vain. God says, listen, don't rejoice about all those miraculous things that you saw. Rejoice in your walk with me. Our relationship with God is so amazing that it takes precedence over the fact that we can serve him. You know, we talk about this phrase a lot, but I think that it's such a beautiful picture. As we do ministry, as we serve, as we love people, as we think about, you know, hundreds of new people coming and experiencing H2O and all that's going to go on within our church over the next couple weeks, we want it to be an overflow of that walk that we have with him. And we use this phrase, it's like going to work with dad. You know, it's like, like going to work with dad. Maybe you did that growing up. Maybe you got the opportunity to, to go to work with dad. I don't know what your relationship with your dad is. Some of us have great relationships. Others of us, maybe we never got the experience to do something like that. I know for myself, um, I talked about my kids earlier in this message, but, but on Thursday when there's move-in day here at BGSU, our church, if you've never been around, we do this big production where we do a bunch of water bottles and we give out like 5,000 water bottles to, to new families that come in. It's one of the really cool things that we get the privilege of doing as we partner with the university because it's not only serving people because hopefully it'll be hot not too hot but you know it'll be hot and we get to serve people with water but we also get to tell them about what God's doing here at H2O so it's this big production that we do and we we have you know this whole system that we do it well the first group of us we get up at 5 30 a.m. and we start to load trucks full of water so that they get nice and iced down and, and we can pass them out well every year my kids are like when's water bottle day When's water bottle day? And I'm like, oh, it's this Thursday. It's their second day of school. Like, Dad, we want to go with you. I'm like, it's 5.30 in the morning. You know, do you guys really want to get? Yeah, yeah, it's water bottle day. We got to go do it, you know? It's, it's, we got to be a part of. And as I was reflecting on that, I was thinking, my kids, they know that that day is important to me. And of course, they, they love serving people too, and they love the Lord. But what they really want to do, honestly, is they want to be on mission with me. They want to go to work with me. They see something that I'm passionate about and I'm excited about, and they're like, that's something that I should probably be excited about as well. 
And so this Thursday at 5.30 a.m., I'm going to hit the alarm. I'm going to pull them out of bed. They're going to groggily walk into the car, and we're going to go, and we're going to pass out water bottles and get them ready to welcome new students. They just want to go to work with Dad. That's what they really care about. And we make a memory every year before they go to school together. And that's what God is asking of from us. Well, we partner with him. Not because we have to, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but because we love him. God is our loving father. And no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've turned away from him, no no matter what place you find yourself in, God wants to connect with you. He wants to have that moment with you where he shows you and tells you how much he loves. The sin that you've committed, he wants to forgive and come into your life and say, I want to wipe you clean. And now I want you to just come to work with me and be on mission to bring other people in to that relationship with him. That's what we're all about here at H2O. And we don't ever want to confuse all the things that we do with the heart of the mission of knowing and loving God. As we think about that, following Jesus, it brings that ultimate joy and that ultimate fulfillment. And that's what we want for every single person. So let's pray. Let's worship God. Let's ask God to help us invite new people into our family over these next couple months. And let's say, God, we love you. So we want to serve you.